let's have a ball at Faneuil Hall. We love the old town team. Take the green line to the sicko sign. We love the old town team. Now we're here, we all will cheer. We love the old town team. Our chowders mean we like our beans, but we love the old town team. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Old Town Podcast. Our Red Sox pod at the Athletic Baseball is trying to come back. Lots of questions need to be answered, though, and lots of details need to be ironed out. The league has sent detailed safety protocols. We're going to get into that. We'll talk about some of the contract questions that will come up as well. Uh, Tim McMaster, along with Jen McCaffrey and Chad Jennings, bringing you the podcast this week. You can also save 40% off a subscription to The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash greenmonster for 40% off. First off, everybody doing well. You guys are up in Boston. Obviously, I'm in New York where things are slowly getting better. Uh, Jen, how's Boston? Doing okay. Yeah, seems uh I think things are slowly maybe getting better yep. here, but uh yeah, still still sort of status quo, I feel like. And Chad, you're a little bit further outside the city, but um everything okay there? Yeah, it seems like it. yeah, we're up north, um up in Andover. I have a, a sort of a funny story that we were going for a walk <laughs> this weekend with my uh my two kids, my wife and I. And you know, it's it's the you're just walking on the streets and and my son my three-year-old looked over we've seen a ton of people walking everyone's outside very far from one another so people are kind of holding masks but not many people are wearing them and my three-year-old for some reason singles out one guy yells across the street hey why aren't you wearing a mask (laughs) that guy was jim rice no (laughs) yeah (laughs) he lives up there yeah so my son my son yelled at a hall of famer this weekend for not wearing a mask when did there was you, like, not see- when there was not a single person within 30 feet of him did you notice it was him as you were like walking towards yeah him, oh yeah like, yeah he was yeah he was sort of nice. walking up kind of from behind us and okay, yeah so i was about to sort of like nudge my wife and try to tell her who that is and uh but <laughs> chase took care of the conversation for us <laughs> It's a little bit less of an issue there where you're very spread out. I've, it's yeah, here no, in New York, I, I you go in the park and sure. it's, totally. if, yeah, yeah, I yeah. really want to yell at people. Oh, yeah. No, when, <laughs> when I'm in the park. If yeah. I'm in town here, if, anytime I've been to like stores or anywhere, I mean, I, know, I never see anyone without a mask on. But when people right. are walking on the streets and stuff, almost everyone here is, is not wearing a mask then. Yeah, um, when you're like 10, 15 feet apart. Yeah, yeah when everybody's pretty far apart. But uh but yeah, Jim it, Rice was holding a mask in his hand. But yeah, my my son. That is so funny. Yeah, good important. that he was holding it, and yeah. really good parenting by you because obviously, um, you know, on track with the mask. Well, he didn't. Stuff. Chase didn't have a mask on, so I don't know what he thinks he's doing here, <laughs> trying to call people out. Pandemic stories. Yeah. yeah. Uh, before we get to all the the serious topics of safety and Major League Baseball returning and whether or not it can happen, the OOTP, the alternative universe that The Athletic is doing for baseball, carries on. Um, I'm running the Blue Jays, Chad's running the Red Sox, and we're both suffering through just a brutal season. I wouldn't say either of us is running the team. Whatever is slower than running, we're like, we're walking the team, we're, we're benching the team. I don't know what we're doing, but we're not doing it well. Yeah, so checking in on the standings right now, the Rays have a six-game lead on the Yankees, so the Rays are really good. The The Rays owner, just a full clarity, uh, traded the entire farm, <laughs> went all in on one season to, uh, to win this thing. So it's a little unrealistic. The Rays are all in for 2020 and will be terrible going forward probably uh, for maybe decades because of it. I also um, but think, they're all in. to be fair, I also <laughs> think that 
the one person doing this who most understood what it was about was the Rays owner, who's Dan yes. Barbarisi. One who I mean, you know, if we're gonna do a simulation of one season, what what's a farm system worth anyway? So he just was like, all right, if we're gonna simulate this one year and see what happens. <laughs> That's right, and it's Barbarisi yeah. who is another member of the Boston family, an yeah. editor. Uh, so yeah, we have we kind of have the division uh, cornered. See, I was under the hope that maybe this would carry on in some way, but I, it's probably not going to happen. But that said, I've gone, uh, I've switched to sell mode. The trade deadline's coming up on Saturday. I did dealt Ken Giles, almost dealt him to you, or we talked about it, Chad, yeah. but ended up sh- trading him uh, to the Padres. I got Josh Naylor and Angel Solarte back. So that was my move there um, to just try to get something for a closer for a team that's like 16 games out right now. Um, You were trying to buy, uh, but then Rafael Devers broke his kneecap. He's out for the year, so you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. I, I, I had a deal in place to get Josh Bell to play first base, and then uh, Josh Bell got hurt. Um, so I, I, I like was just going to try injuries. to do something to say, like, all right, let's see if I can make this season worth anything. Yeah. Um, just even if it doesn't result in the team winning, just see if I could make it better. And I don't know. So the Rays are in first. The Astros have the best record in baseball. The Royals are in first place in the Central, which is the one weird thing that I don't think will hold up for the rest of the season. Right. But it does give some insight into what could happen in Major League Baseball if we have an 80-game season because you could have something crazy like the Royals uh, being in first place after 60 games, and who knows what will happen. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, let's if it happens, and let's get to that. Can it happen? Because there's so many details that need to be worked out. Uh, great story on Friday from Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellick. Um, about the safety protocols that have been come up with through the league. 67 pages. Um, There's a lot of stuff. And, Jen, I think it was eye-opening for me. I don't know what your reaction was, just to see how much thought has already gone into this and how many hurdles there are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, yeah, I think it's uh, obviously if you just even glance at some of the stuff that they mentioned in the story, it seems very thorough. Um, But is it feasible? Is it, you know, how how weird is this going to look? And, you know, what what are what you know, what brand of baseball are we going to be able to to get out of this if guys are forgetting to switch balls out or, you know, uh, like are are guys going to be actually penalized for this or is this just a don't do it and we'll turn a turn a blind eye? Like there's so many questions that are um, that that you have to think about when considering all this. But uh, definitely comprehensive, I guess, is the first thing that comes to mind when when you look at what they put together so far. Yeah, I mean, you just look at some of the details. There's the temperature checks twice a day, um, testing multiple times per week, home screenings where these players will be checking their temperature basically before they leave to go to the ballpark. Um, And then I, I guess Fenway will have its own little extra challenges just because of space within Fenway Park, but social distancing within the clubhouse with lockers spread out in the dugout, uh, washing hands between every half inning or or disinfecting. Um, One thing, Chad, that kind of made me think, wow, this is really, it's going to make these guys rough it a little bit. Beyond all of that, just little things like no showering at the ballpark. So you're going to have, and no Ubers or taxis. So if you're on the road, you're going to basically have 30 ballplayers just smelly and stinky after playing nine innings or who knows, 10, 11 innings and not allowed to shower. Just crowd onto that bus and head back to your hotel. It's just something that these guys aren't used well, yeah, to. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, some of this, you know, obviously I don't know fully all the dynamics here, but it does seem unusual, right? That you can't sort of take turns crowding into a shower, but you can all pile in sweaty and disgusting into a bus. Um, 
So, right. I, and, but some of it's just the logistics of it. I, I, I would imagine it's, it's going to be hard to fully keep anyone from getting sick. But I think they're putting all this stuff in place because, as much as they can say, if one player gets sick, that's not going to be enough to shut down the league. If a couple of them do, it will be. Um, you know, and we saw what happened yeah. with the NBA in March. I mean, as soon as one guy tested positive, that was it. I mean, that's what started all of this was one guy being sick. Um, now, ideally, you know, you start this when we're we as a you know society is in a little bit better place and we're better able to test and all this stuff. So there are it, it might be able to withstand one person getting sick. But I think that the the league recognizes that if if this thing if if you have a lot of people in the league getting ill or people around the team or whatever, I mean. That's it, you know. You, you're you have to take every precaution you can because you just can't afford. You, you're not gonna be able to run the league if you've got any sort of even a, a modest outbreak among players. It's gonna be finished. That's the thing that like I keep going back to is like the the idea that everyone keeps saying, oh, like if one player gets sick, well, it's unlikely just one guy is gonna get sick. You have hundreds of people. So, I mean, like, what's the what's the cutoff? Five, right. ten? Like, what if it wipes out a whole team? Or, like, not wipes out in terms of, obviously, anything drastic, but what if they all get right. all get sick? Like, they obviously all can't play. So, I mean, like... Well, what, and I think that's probably it, why you have just, so many yeah. of these things in place. It's like, maybe they can withstand a guy or two getting sick. Even one guy gets sick on each team, you could probably withstand that. But just, they realize, I think, if this thing, it, it can spread so easily, we now realize that... That's what they can't withstand is if it begins to spread somewhere and all of a sudden you've got a clubhouse with 12 people sick in it. I mean, that's that's it. <laughs> Just So I think if you're going to try to start playing, they, they're going to have to do things that seem really extreme because they just can't withstand, you know, the, the alternative here. Yeah, and that's the, the fear. The worst case scenario is you actually do start this up and then have to shut it down again. It, it's almost worse than never starting it up. Um, we, we did see, and it's different. Obviously, everything's different from league to league and from country to country. Uh, I thought it was interesting, though, in Germany, um, they started up this weekend with the Bundesliga. But a week before that, um, just basically seven days before they were set to get back to playing soccer in Germany, um, one of the Bundesliga two level teams, so like the AAA, basically, um, the whole team was put into quarantine because there were so many guys that that tested positive that they just quarantined the whole team for 14 days, knowing that the season was supposed to start in seven days and they were basically going to miss three games on their schedule, um, which probably is okay there because it's three games and maybe you can make those up and squeeze them in along the way and it's the second tier division. But if that happens in Major League Baseball, it's you can't, there's no, you're already trying to cram in 80 games or 82 games into this this season um you can't have a team just up for a week we're not going to have that team play games it's just not going to work uh in major league baseball it's just there's just so many questions and so many things to work through plus and and we'll get into this you have this union in baseball that's stronger basically than than most unions and i think that's going to lead to the bigger the bigger question marks um, because everything has to be in place. All these I's are going to have to be dotted and T's are going to be crossed. And that kind of brings you to the players, right? And Blake Snell famously made the comments and he didn't, you know, word it the best way. Um, but basically saying, hey, we're putting ourselves at risk and, and we're taking pay cuts, um, which I realize like people that are unemployed right now read and, and a lot of people read it and, and Blake Snell took a lot of heat. But underlying under all of that, Jen, there's a player who's genuinely concerned about his health 
and taking a pay cut, and that's real. I mean, I know it's millionaires, and and although Blake Snell's maybe not there yet, um, but it's still a real factor that health is a real thing. These players have something to be concerned about. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and their families as well that are, you know, they're going to be going. It's not like this plan that's been proposed is that they're isolating the players. Like, they're going to be going back to their families, and who's to say their families, their wives or their children don't have, you know, respiratory illnesses or anything, you know, any number of things that, uh, you know, the player themselves might be fine, but they might end up starting to carry something and pass it on. So, I, you know, it's... Uh, you understand the public's frustration with millionaires complaining about, you know, safety and, and money. Um, but there is, you know, the health concern and like pe- we're humans and, you know, you you have the right to be concerned about your health. And, you know, it's not that they uh, the, the players obviously have as much concern as anybody else. So, I mean, it's that that part of things is certainly warranted. Well, and those big questions and the players, and you, and you mentioned the the families too, but there's players that are high risk too. Uh, Jason Stark has a good story out um, where he talks about some of those issues. You think about a couple guys that were once with the Red Sox, John Lester, Anthony Rizzo. These are guys that, that battled cancer. Obviously, there's issues there with Im- the immunity. And Kenley Jansen, with the health problems he's had over the years, um, struggled to, to play in Colorado because of the, the breathing issues. Um, and then there's guys with with family issues. Sean Doolittle's wife has severe asthma. Um, that's been brought up, and he's he's kind of voiced those concerns. Um, so baseball is kind of it sounds like Chad has kind of come out and said, yeah, we're not going to force players to play. So then you have this. It brings up. It just opens up with everything. Every answer to a question brings up more questions, right? And that is the one where okay, not everybody has to play if they feel like they're high risk or their family is. So right. now what? What about do they get paid differently? And there's just all these other questions yeah, that come up. Do they get paid from differently? Do they get service time? Um, I mean, it's just it's a it's it's a mess. I mean, and it's not. Again, I don't know that this is anyone's fault. I mean, I I think that even if what Blake Snell said sort of came across as tone deaf, I think that you can still the the things that he was discussing are are legitimate issues that everyone's going to have to weigh. You know, I mean, what is this worth playing? How much money are these guys going to have to make to do it? Um, how much money can you give the players and still have the teams make profit, which obviously they're going to want to do, or at least come close to breaking even all the, there are financial issues here. There are health issues here. There are just very baseball specific issues here, like stuff like service time, stuff like player development. Um, it's, I don't know that there is going to be a, an easy answer. And, And as we were just saying, I don't think that, I don't think that teams are going to be that representative because I think there are always going to be certain players. There are going to be players here who just, it's that they're not going to want to play and, and it's not going to be worth it for them to play. Whereas it might be a great opportunity for someone else. You know, if you've already made some money in the game, maybe you don't want to even, even if it means you don't get the year of service time or if you, even if it means you don't get paid this season, you maybe decide to sit that out. And then that opens the door for, you know, some, a triple a veteran who finally gets a crack at you know a very strange big league season but could still play in the major leagues for a year it's it's going to be an interesting dynamic because it's i think the situation and the circumstances are going to be very different for each player and so different players are going to have to make different decisions along the way about what is and is not worth it and, and what is a risk and what's not and we have this idea of which teams we expected to be good and which teams we expected to be bad. And we may have to kind of reshuffle that entire idea once, if this does get to the point where, hey, there's here's the rosters, here's where we're playing baseball. Jen, once we see who's actually playing baseball, because you think about the Cubs, 
um, who, you know, not a World Series favorite necessarily, but certainly a contender in the National League and the NL Central, take away John Lester and Anthony Rizzo if they decide they don't want to play baseball, and suddenly the Cubs aren't that good a team. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing you have to think about with all this, you know, say this all works and they get back to playing, but, you know, these these guys are, you know, their bodies are used to a certain type of buildup and, you know, they're going to have a kind of a truncated uh, buildup in a shorter spring training. So we saw, um, you know, the KBO is kind of dealing with a rash of like hamstring injuries and guys going down in that sense. So like you have, I'm sure guys are going to blow out their arms more frequently than where we're accustomed to just because they're not, they haven't been built up as much. So there's, you know, they might, this might all get you know, going, uh, but I feel like a month in or so, you're going to start to see a lot of guys get hurt. Um, and I'm sure they're trying to, trying to, uh, reduce all that, um, reduce those factors. But I mean, at the same time, we can only do so much if you want to get back to playing quickly. So, and, and the, and the, whatever rules they put in place, I think will affect the decision-making of different people. You know I mean? I, I, just to use an easy example, like think of Mookie Betts situation where, even if they if they were to tell him, look, you can't you, even if they say you don't get a year of service time and you don't get paid this year if you elect not to play, that there's a chance that's still worth it for him. Where now he can go in and he says, okay, I won't play this year. Don't get a year of service time. That means he plays 2021 at whatever he would be, what age 28. He'd be 28 next year. So he plays next year at making his whatever 27 million at age 28. And then gets to become a free agent heading into 2022, when probably some of the financial ruin that that will affect this coming off season is gone. Maybe that is a better earning opportunity for him than to just sort of play through this season and go in and become a free agent this coming winter, when who knows how much money teams are going to have to spend. You know, there are, there are going to be strange elements here that these guys are going to have to take into consideration you know beyond health concerns even just some of the financial decisions that guys face in terms of you know when do you want to become a free agent how quickly you get there what's going to be the best chance for a good contract everything I think is sort of the the board is going to be wiped clean a little bit and they're all going to have to figure out in this new landscape an adjustment in the way they approach their own careers just from a financial point of view. The other thing about that, though, too, is that uh, the current CBA runs out in December 2021. So say you don't even have, you know, this season, but guys are like, all right, well, I'll just, you know, try to wait for next offseason. But who knows what next offseason in the, you know, the 2021 into 22 is going to look like because there's who knows what baseball is going to look like if all of this is going to affect negotiations or make it worse or better or who knows. Uh, So, I mean, there's also that kind of, I'm sure, weighing a lot lot of players and agents. Well, I, I talked to somebody from the Red Sox just this weekend just sort of making small talk really and brought up that and, and this person didn't have an answer but you know you take a guy like Jay Groom you know first round pick a big prospect for the Red Sox this is a huge year for him where he's supposed to he's finally you know free of Tommy John surgery he's supposed to have basically a full year and then he's supposed to be rule five protected this coming winter but now if you have a non-season where the minor league guys, I don't know how minor league guys are going to get any sort of real in-game experience, Like, what do you do with that? What do you do with, with trying to evaluate where he is and, and sort of what to make of him and, and how to get him back on track as a prospect when you just don't have the opportunity to play? It's just a, there's, there are unusual issues that are going to go well beyond 
you know, just what happens in terms of building a roster for 2020, it's, it's going to be bigger issues that are going to keep popping up sort of over the next few years. Uh, cause player development's going to be a little bit screwed up. The draft is obviously wildly different. Um, I think the issues here are going to, to really linger for several seasons. Almost feels like there's a, there's going to be a black hole of kind of talent in a couple of years. That's going to come from the lack of a year of player development combined with the lack of, of a full draft that at some point and it'll pass, but there's going to be kind of a gap there and in talent coming up, Mm -hmm. I feel like in, in major league baseball. And that's something obviously they must've weighed going into the decision to cut the draft the way they did from 40 rounds down to five and to to make the signing bonus cap at 20,000. But that was a big decision. And then you combine it with this and it's even bigger. Uh, You mentioned, uh, groom that's one key player for the Red Sox and there's some others when you talk about um, a 50 player roster and who can fit onto that roster um, because I would think all teams are going to consider their top prospects and who is it worth to, to just get on this roster just so that we can you know have control over them working with them and, and developing them through the season if even if there's no chance of them actually contributing at the major league level. Um, when you look at the Red Sox, Jen Jeter Downs, I think, is a no-brainer because he could probably play at the major league level, even if you know, even if you may be overwhelmed by pitching as a as a guy who's been at Double A, but he could probably play defensively, and he's been at the big league club in spring training, so he, I would think, would be a lock to be on that roster, right? But but what about a guy like Tristan Cassis, who was a first round pick? And I'm sure isn't ready, probably offensively or defensively, to be at the big league level. But you think the Red Sox would consider? maybe adding him to a 50-man roster just to keep him working. Yeah, um, you know, I think, yeah, that's one of the main things, I think, is that these guys aren't really going to have much... Uh, there, there's going to be some sort of, you know, minor league system going on at, uh, at, at, at the spring training complexes just to keep these guys moving, um, but not really any like game action. So, yeah, do you do you bring all your top prospects up to Fenway and to the Red Sox just to have them sort of in that atmosphere and sort of in a game uh, a game setting? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could see Casas being in that group and potentially downs. But, yeah, what's how much playing time are they going to get and like would they benefit more from just kind of playing scrimmages against you know other minor league guys in the system down in Florida so um yeah it, it, all of that uh, the whole roster kind of comp- compilation is uh going to be interesting because you're going to need guys that can play um that at the le- at the level you know at the major league level not just you know babysitting guys in the from the minors so um you have to factor that in too as well so um Yeah, it's going to be interesting, you know, a number of different ways, but the roster questions uh, are going to be a plenty. I did uh, an idea of what a 50-man roster for the Red Sox might look like, and I had said our boss texted us about this idea of writing that, and I said, yeah, I'll I'll do that. That'll be easy. Um, And initially did exactly what you were talking about, Tim. I just put, like, of course, obviously, like, the the bigger prospects, they're going to need want to be there so they can play. And, you, I mean, 50 – Man, roster seems huge, but you run out of space quick. And, you know, the team last year used 26 pitchers in the course of the year. And that was in a, you know, a normal season when you didn't, when you weren't playing, you know, double headers multiple times a week. And so, you know, as much as you'd love to be able to fill some of those spots with just some of the prospects that you just want to give innings to, you might not be able to. I mean, you might need to put a lot of these, you know, kind of triple A depth guys there who you know can reliably give you innings. Same with, you know, do you put a, 
Jaron Duran or another like young outfield prospect on there who's probably not quite ready and that maybe you don't want to rush or do you fill those spots with like Cesar Puello, the guys who like the the minor league depth that they brought in for this role that are supposed to be the sort of extra the extra outfielders, extra infielders, whatever, extra bullpen arms um, just to get through the season. And I think a lot of that, again, it depends on what the full set of rules are. Like what exactly is happening with the rest of the minor leagues? Is this the only opportunity you have to let these young guys play? Or is this the major league team and you still have, there is something in place where your minor league guys are playing you know, at least some form of like an extended spring training, or maybe they give you like a an expanded and even massive like fall league type thing. You know, I, can they play some games later in the way? I, I don't know. I don't know what it's all going to depend on what else is there. You know, is this 50 man roster it? Is this the only baseball you're really allowed to play this year? Because then those spots become maybe it is a higher priority to put young guys on it. But if it's not, then I think that changes it. And so that brings up the whole thing of just all the other minor leaguers, right, that we already know, we've read about, you know, the money that they make and and those sort of things in the minor leagues, if they're not bonus babies and that stuff. And then suddenly there's no minor league baseball. There's certainly no pay for those guys. And what are they doing all summer? I mean, I think, Jen, that's like you hate to say it's a secondary concern right now because these are human beings with, you know, big questions about not just their well-being, but their careers. Um, but Major League Baseball is trying to get Major League Baseball back right now. So I, I feel like, as always seems to be the case with baseball, the minor leaguers are kind of the forgotten ones in all of this. Yeah, totally. You know, I think, uh, and I think just the the whole landscape of minor league baseball was already starting to change. And this is, I think, going to greatly impact just, yeah, the number of teams going forward, the number of players who maybe aren't going to be able to afford to keep playing. Um, and just, yeah, the obviously the talent levels because they're not going to be able to play for a whole year and guys falling off consistency wise, or maybe they were starting to get better and now they can't play for a whole year. So, um, yeah, there's a, a number of questions at the minor league level and it feels unfortunately for a lot of those guys that they're just kind of pushed to the wayside, but I think it's just the reality of, of where everything's at. Well, right we now. were moving toward changes in the minor leagues anyway. I mean, I, I it, that much had been clear whether we, we knew exactly what it was going to be, but I think it seemed pretty obvious that, that baseball was at least very seriously exploring, you know, getting rid of some minor league teams and which if you do that, you're probably going to start cutting the draft some. And uh, so there were changes coming, on that front, but I think this is going to accelerate them and and then cause sort of other unforeseen headaches, um, you know, farther down the line. But yeah, I think that I think this may push, you know, between this this event happening and then the end of the CBA and various minor league things that were being discussed anyway. You know, the next few years we may see some a pretty significant change in the way baseball happens, and particularly in the way that like player development happens and in the way that 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 teams are built. I think, I think that may shift um, in a really meaningful way here just in the next year or two, really. Yeah. You think about there will be no baseball in Portland or Worcester or Lowell, you know, all those minor league affiliates for the Red Sox uh, this year, but then you wonder what it means going forward. You know, is Lowell, does Lowell have a team next year and and who knows about that? And um, yeah, they're big questions. I think the draft, I mean, there's no way it goes back to 40, right? Maybe it goes back to 20 rounds. 
Um, and those bonuses yeah. kind of go back to the way, way they were for the first 10 rounds. But it's certainly different. It was going to be really neat being in Omaha, I think, for the draft and having all those College World Series guys on hand. And now you go to a five-round situation. And, and I wonder... I wonder five rounds what baseball tries to do. Obviously, the NFL draft was a huge hit because those guys are immediately going to be on your roster, and the NFL draft's always been big, and we had this need for sports. Um, The Major League Baseball draft has always kind of been forgotten for those that aren't insiders because it's in the middle of the season, there's games that day, and, and lots of reasons. I wonder if this one, because it's not during the season and it's shorter, and there's nothing else to watch at this point. Jen, do you think this draft has the chance to actually be exciting for Major League Baseball or because it's five rounds and there's been so much negativity around it that it just kind of becomes a one a two-day forgotten thing that comes up next month? I think it'll be I think there's a curiosity factor of yeah. like how are they going to pull this off and what's it going to look like and I think, you know, m- most people or all people are pretty realistic. This isn't the NFL draft. Um, but I think it just because of the novelty of everything that's uh, going on right now, the uniqueness of everything, I think people might be a, maybe a tad interested in just, you know, what is this and how are, how are they going to pull this off? Um, I don't think you're going to, you know, gain any MLB draft fans out of this. But I think there's just a kind of a curiosity factor of, you know, who are the this this is this this draft class is gonna you know be looked at for several years to come of just like the you just again the uniqueness of it all and the limited number of guys and um you know how they end up faring down the road so i mean there might be a little bit of heightened interest just in that sense of like this is kind of like a, a test tube um you know draft class of what what this shortened and weird draft is going to look it's, like. and it's also still going to be made up of i mean even though i think they'll shift I think we'll see a major shift toward college players and away from high school players in this sort of a in a in a shorter draft. But it's still it's still amateur baseball, and nobody knows these guys. I mean, you know, it's there are people who follow college baseball, obviously, and you know, as we get toward the draft, I mean, Jen and I both probably know you know a handful of kind of the top guys who are going to be picked. But even then, I mean, I don't know a lot about them. I just kind of know what I've read different places and it's I still think that there's a limit to how excited people can get about a baseball draft only because there are just so few people in the country who know anything really about these guys I mean you're I think most fans are they learn who their team's first round draft pick is as soon as his name is called and at that and before that moment they have never heard of this person in their lives for what it's worth Chad, you took uh, Garrett Crochet in the first round of our fake draft in the uh, Out of the Park Baseball League. 6'6", left-hander out of Tennessee. That would actually be a really good fit for the Red Sox um, if he falls. And he'll be, I would think he'll be a legitimate guy that'll be in that discussion because you mentioned the shift to the college guys, um, which makes a lot of sense. There was less, even from a scouting perspective, you've seen these college guys and a lot of these scouts who were planning on really digging in on the high school players this spring never got that opportunity. So it's just such an unknown. And so many high school players get that draft helium in, in March and April and May of their senior year where they either develop more physically or come into their own. And, and we just didn't get that. And it's just so many question marks um, for these guys. We'll have more on the draft on the podcast as we get closer. 
I'm sure as well, coming up on June 10th with the draft. Uh, one more thing I wanted to touch on, guys, and that's, uh, Chad, you had the story. It's out today. Check it out on The Athletic. Uh, what if the Red Sox, we've done a lot of these what-if stories at The Athletic. What if the Red Sox kept Babe Ruth? That's the question that people have wondered for 100 years um, around New England, although it, it hurts less in recent years than it did for for those 86 years. Um, but Chad, you took this to a, a whole new level. Not only do they keep Babe Ruth, but the owner becomes a legend. <laughs> it's not Yaki way, it's Frizzy way. I mean, you went all in on, on the decision. Forget Broadway, it was all about well, the Red Sox. It, it's one thing you realize when you look at it, and I think people kind of know this, but, but one thing Frizzy, Frizzy did was, it, it's not just that he sold Babe Ruth. I mean, that was a part of a just an overwhelming dismantling of the Red Sox and and very specifically sending those players to the New York Yankees. And so the Yankees sort of, the the championships that they won, they started in the 20s, largely with players that they got from the Red Sox. So you kind of have to imagine if that doesn't happen and instead you get an owner here in Frizzy who decides to keep the Red Sox together and put all of his money into that, that, you know, it's I think it's entirely possible that the Red Sox are the team that has that many championships and that have not gone through the long drought, you know, that leading up to 04, um, you know, it's obviously, we're just, you know, kind of a, a story just for the fun of it, but it is interesting to look back on that and realize just how, just how much the early winning by the Yankees was facilitated by the Red Sox giving them players. And, uh, and just, if that shifts and then said it's the Red Sox, um, I think history looks on those two franchises, uh, much differently yeah it certainly does and forget no no Nanette it did did you get into that in the the story I haven't yeah, read the whole I, well, thing I made yet just, did no no I, Nanette I made, make it to Broadway I didn't get into whether I, I made some passing reference that he basically decides not to invest in no no Nanette and lets that go to a different yeah. uh, Broadway producer and uh, yeah <laughs> Uh, good stuff. A lot of what ifs have, have been out there. And Jen, you had the story, um, your latest one, John Lester's no hitter, a look back, another one of these great uh, distant memories. Um, and and that was the last no hitter for the Red Sox. And and obviously Lester has gone on to the Cubs now. You wonder how long it'll be before there's another no hitter with this Boston Red Sox team. But how fun was it looking back on that game? Yeah, it was uh, those kind of rewatching some of those old, you know, uh, Red Sox classic games, I guess, has been kind of a cool uh, experiment and all this of just, you know, you don't, you watch them in the moment and you don't really, um, aside from those playoff games, you don't really rewatch them, you know, ever again. And, um, yeah, just the, the banter from Marcelo and Remy and, uh, the, the thing that stood out in that game more so was that Manny was, you know, approaching 500 home runs. He was at 498. So that was the big storyline that day. And Lester was pretty shaky in the first couple innings until he settled in. So, um, yeah, so it was cool to kind of go back and watch that and and also just see the the influx of homegrown um, homegrown pitchers the Red Sox had and Lester <laughs> and Buckles and Papelbon and, you know, even guys, you know, Manny Del Carmen was in the bullpen and Justin Masterson and they kind of had a lot of, you know, a lot of guys obviously that uh, went on to help them. Um, but it was uh, it was just interesting. Yeah, it's always an interesting exercise to kind of go back and rewatch those those games with uh, hindsight, uh, you know, with the foresight, I guess, that we my, have now. My little sister, yeah, went to, she was studying at MIT at the time, and she went to, the, we, she was at that game, and she called me after it was over, and, and I had seen the end of it on TV, so I knew that Lester had thrown a no-hitter. My sister called, and I just hear, you know, they're screaming in the background, 
And she goes, Chad, I, I'm at the Red Sox game. And I said, you know, I knew what happened. So I was like, whoa, you were at that game? And she goes, yeah, John Lester. Uh, she phrased it. She goes, John Lester threw a no-hitter. Like she really emphasized the no. <laughs> she didn't really know exactly what this was. And I said, I said, I know, Laura, I know. He threw a no-hitter. And she goes, was it like his first one or something? Because they're going crazy. <laughs> yes, Laura, it was his, it was his awesome. first one. <laughs> <laughs> He's not Nolan Ryan. It'll probably yeah. be his last. Uh, yeah, awesome. good stuff. And we rewatched the 04 game four against the Yankees um, on the podcast as well. Check that one out if you haven't listened to that. Um, just uh, some of the stuff we're doing to keep things interesting here. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully we're taking some steps towards getting back to baseball. All right, this has been a good one. Um, if you want to save 40% off a subscription to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash Green Monster to save 40%. We'll be back again next Monday. Thanks for tuning in. This has been the Old Town Podcast.